Samuel. Cuts it back. Ohio State wins. I put my heart in this Let's go, man. That is as good as it gets. I represent me in this issue. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Early on the field, a touchdown is confirmed. Fourth and two now. You've got to get two yards. I don't know. I don't think so. No way. Kentucky wins. And we're back with another episode of the Peace of Mind Podcast. This is Kevin Jackson. He's AJ Nance. Thanks for listening. Please take a second uh, hit the subscribe button. It only takes a minute, but it uh, is a big help to us. Go ahead and leave a comment, a rating. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Peace of Mind 615. It's a big help. Yes, sir. So how's everything going, man? I'm good, man. Wrapping up another week here. Getting ready to get started uh, on a Monday. Did you? It's soggy, man. It's been soggy all week. It's yeah. gray and miserable. I, it doesn't bother me one bit because it's going to be like 60, 65 and above for the next few days. And that just lets me know that spring's on the horizon. So I'm just trying to enjoy this last little bit of cold weather I can. I don't mind the cold. It's just the wet. It's like cabin fever. <laughs> Nobody wants to go outside and do anything. You know you can still like go outside, right? Yeah, you can, but I don't want to. <laughs> this is the so, first time I've ever heard you say you don't want to go outside. <laughs> I'm just tired of the rain. I swear it's been like historical rain <laughs> amounts. It's so funny. I went to I went to the store today and picked up some cereal, and for some reason, like Forrest Gump was in my mind. It was like one day it started raining. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've been living. I swear it's going to be like middle of March, and it's just going to stop. And everybody's going to be shocked. Like, wow, how about that? It finally stopped. You know what's wild? Like, I actually read something that Nashville gets more rain in, in total than Seattle does. Seattle just gets smaller amounts more. More days more of frequently. rain. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Seattle's a is a is a temperate rainforest, though. Listen, Seattle would be an awesome place to do a show from, in my opinion. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> Let's get to uh, some shout outs. Yeah. Let's get to some shout outs. We, thankfully, uh, we, we had a dry spell last week, but we're back this week with uh, two more listener reviews. Um, as Kevin said earlier, if you could just please go on to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to um, the podcast and rate, review, subscribe to us, that'd be awesome. Today, we're looking at two from, from guys in Kentucky that I know, one being Bradley here, uh, King Johnson. 1403. He says, I enjoyed the new podcast. He's like, just can't wait to listen as they keep coming. And a bourbon giveaway sounds like a great idea. I agree. I think we should give away some bourbon. I'm all for it. I'm here for it. So Bradley, I know you're going to check out this episode. Let us know how you think we should uh, give this away. And then we will put it into fruition. It won't be Pappy 23. That was just a joke, but we'll definitely, uh, we'll make sure to get a good bottle out to somebody. Um, in some form or fashion. Two also, yeah, who we got oh, next? Okay. Yeah, so we got Matt PKY. That's my boy Matt, also from Kentucky. He says, five star. Can't go wrong with a podcast full of football, bourbon, and randomness. A lot of randomness. But um, I appreciate the shout there, Matt. He also 
gave us our Mount Rushmore topic for this week as well after there was a little bit of controversy and a lot of talk uh, <laughs> on a statement made last episode. So Matt actually gave us a great Mount Rushmore topic for this week, and uh, we'll definitely dive into that later in the show. Yeah, so if you guys have any uh, Mount Rushmore topics you want to talk about, want to participate with us, please go on to Instagram, go on to Twitter, leave comments, tell us what you want to hear, and uh, we'll do it. All the Mount Rushmore topics we've done so far have all been fan requests. So uh, get on there and let us know what you want to hear. Right. You definitely don't want us to pick because then you guys will be bored. And it's a quick and easy way for you all to hear something that you want us to discuss and pick apart and give us your feedback, too. So we'll look forward to hearing from you guys. Also, uh, stay tuned on our Instagram stories to participate in our Mount Rushmore with us this week. Um, You'll be able to take a screenshot of our story, uh, edit it, and then uh, post it onto your Instagram story and uh, interact with us on the Mount Rushmore segment. This is the Peace of Mind News and Notes. All right, not a lot happening in the world of college football these days. We are in the middle of February, and this is the slow time of the world of college football. So not a lot to talk about in our News and Notes, but let's get started. Yes, sir. Uh, Todd Grantham is going to remain with the Florida Gators despite interest from the Bengals for their D.C. position. One thing I want to add as well is Ohio State defensive backs coach Jeff Halfley, who just came from the 49ers, also turned down the Cincinnati Bengals uh, and is not going to renege on his offer with the uh, with Ohio State. And so Cincinnati Bengals are still searching for a D.C., yeah, I don't hate it. Um, but he's also got some losses to the Cats, so I'm here for it. Not bad. Moving right along, we got the Oregon defense coordinator. A lot of defense coordinator talk, but <laughs> Oregon defense coordinator. Is it Levitt, Jim Levitt? That's what we're going to go with today. We'll no longer coach at Oregon. Um, the reasoning behind his departure is not known yet, but they did come out with a statement that they were going to try to hire – um, from within from within the system right now rather than going outside of campus to find that coach. Um, what do you think about this with Oregon and already having a lot of defensive woes previously? I wonder how uh, their big-time recruit that they got this year, the number one overall recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Thibodeau. He's a defensive lineman, and uh, I'm curious how that's going to impact him. Also, just very interesting, the the amount of coaches that can just say, hey, I'm out. Peace. Yeah, you know what? I don't want to be here. And I'll say this. I do want to put this caveat in there because they said that the, the reasoning why hasn't been, hasn't been said yet. I, I don't know if it's something um, family-related or health-related, so I feel bad for that. But, like, still at the same time, like, it's wild the flexibility coaches have versus what players have. Moving on, DK Metcalf looks like my man Jax from Mortal Kombat. I don't know if you saw this photo, but uh, a bunch of college football players training together. And um, in this photo, he is just jacked up. I mean, everybody in the photo is <laughs> is jacked up. I know there's um, mostly wide receivers in this group, but this guy looks like he's a defensive end playing wide receiver. It's huge. 
huge. Do, do you think that size will help him or hurt him at the next level? You don't see too many big body like his right now. You don't see too many people like his size anymore. Like before you had uh, David Boston was on the bigger size of receivers. Um, T.O. was on the bigger side of receivers. But you don't necessarily see that as much now. It'll be interesting to see. I will say it gives him, it gives you a benefit when you're going across the middle and stuff. But with all the new um, rules and regulations in place where you can't target and all these things, I don't really know if you need to be that big anymore. I think defensive backs are just getting bigger, though. I mean, long, tall corners in the National Football League, uh, a lot of man coverage. To be 6'4 and 230 is going to be a huge boost for him. <laughs> Now, obviously, you don't want to get, like, just, you mentioned David Boston. David Boston just got huge for the sake of getting huge. <laughs> now, he was legit, like, 275, playing wide receiver. Um, but, I mean, that's just a product of taking steroids. But uh, I, I think he I, he was big at Ole Miss, and he's going to be fine. I, I don't think it's going to be an issue for him. I think he's going to be an asset because of his size. All right, so... SB Nation, and this kind of ties into last week, but SB Nation released a four-year recruiting rankings for all 130 teams um, where the list was really dominated by SEC teams. They basically they put together this um, this analytical breakdown of looking at a couple different vari- vari- uh, varying factors and determining like how the teams over the last four years of recruiting turned out. Um, is there anything that jumps off the page to you for these particular teams? Like, does it shake out the way that you thought? So just to be clear, like this is, they took the, each college football team's last four recruiting classes Mm -hmm. and averaged them out or combined them and then ranked each school's last four recruiting classes combined. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I look at this list, and it's, it's, I don't know why you do a list like this because it just kind of represents the data represents the traditional year in and year out recruiting rankings. I mean, it's mostly SEC teams, right? Followed by Oklahoma and Ohio State is in that mix, right. and Texas and Clemson, uh, Texas and Clemson, uh, Penn State. I mean, it's just the usual guys are up there, and um, nothing really sticks out to me. Uh, I mean, I see Florida State and USC, two programs that would like to be up there in that upper echelon, but they're down at 15 and 16. Just break down the list here. Alabama's number one. Georgia's number two. LSU's number three. Oklahoma's number four. Ohio State's number five. Florida's six. Auburn's seven. A&M's eight. Texas is nine. Clemson, ten. So that's that's your top ten. Right. Um. And also, like, your weighted four-year average, the difference doesn't seem to be that big a difference. For example, right. Alabama's number one at 99.3%, and Georgia's number two at 99.3%. Right. <laughs> I'll say this, and it's easier to nitpick articles when I didn't necessarily spend the time developing, writing, and creating it. But as a fan or somebody that follows college football, I'd have just like to see – them factor in like wins and losses over this time period too and then determine 
how it shook out. Because I just right now this list reads to me as just basically the last four years of knowledge we already have. So you just took the time to put everything together for for four years. And I, while I think it's helpful, I at this point in time it's just like why like factor in something else so I can use some other variances rather than just their recruiting weights and, and averages to determine like the success of that program over four years. All right. Yeah. So that brings us to our last one here. Uh, fake person, <laughs> Blake Carringer, uh, threw the entire football recruiting world into a frenzy this year, uh, this week, excuse me. Well, basically what happened was a fake prospect was created and immediately started receiving offers and and various stars and um acclamations uh, accolades, accolades uh, for for these different uh recruiting sites and it all turned out to be a hoax uh while while this is definitely funny is it an issue like it's turned into absolute ridiculousness uh, my man Blake Carringer here is 6'6", 315, four-star. This guy's got, like, pictures and everything. And it just – and he's rated as a four-star recruit. He doesn't even exist. <laughs> it's incredible. It's is, is mind-blowing to me. It And I, to me it's funny because it just shows that there's so many hiccups in the matrix when you're looking at these numbers. But at the same time – like we talked about how the games evolved and become so much more uh, now that you have this additional visibility into it, and you know you'd hate for that portion of the the game and stuff to be taken away because people can't manage it in a reasonable and like efficient way where you couldn't have um, these people or like fakes being a part of it. Unbelievable. Well, that does that just about does it for our news and notes from around college football. Uh, looking forward to uh, the NFL Combine coming up. Yeah, uh, we got a, we're about a week away, right? Yeah, so we'll have a lot more to report once uh, once that gets started. But you know, this is a uh, tough time of year for college football podcasts. It being in the off season, in between signing day and spring practice, we're kind of in this awkward time. Uh, as college football fans, but we're going to take this time to talk about a topic that was presented to us by one of our listeners from a few episodes back in our comment section uh, about the role or the state of youth athletics in America today. You know, this is a college football podcast, um, but if you don't know, AJ and I are youth football coaches. We coach at the middle school level. And so one of our listeners brought forth this topic of the state of youth sports and today in America. And we see a lot of issues with youth sports and we work a lot with kids today um, from all different walks of life. And so we see a lot of the topics that people want to complain about in society today in our everyday lives when we're coaching football in the fall and we're coaching other sports in the spring. So uh, we thought we would just touch on some of these things that we see as coaches and our experiences uh, working with kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, to your point, this question really drove home for us just simply being that I think it's something that we've discussed every single year. There's a different case or um, a different 
opportunity to teach kids in a, in a special way and, and really, I guess, evolve as coaches like you and I. But also, uh, there's so much off the field that also goes into being a coach as well, too. So, I, honestly, this is an exciting topic for me, and I think that um, a lot of good will come out of just putting this out to people's ears. So, what do you think is, like, the biggest problem with youth sports today? Well, I'm me personally, and a little insight, we did – Obviously, we prepared for the show, but you brought it up and you said that it's the balance between having fun and being competitive with athletes. I think for me, the thing that I see so much in youth sports today is it's very hard for coaches to teeter that line. And a lot of times you see that not only coaches, but parents too take that so far. And I think that a lot of what we're losing today is we're losing the the pureness of the game, the fun of the game, because everything has to be so competitive for the the time that you step on the field. Well, what's what's the role of youth sports in America? Like, I feel like that's where we should we should start. Like, what is the role of youth sports in America? I think <clears throat> sometimes we get really lost on that. Is when you're talking about the balance of having fun and being competitive, and I would say the role of youth sports in America is to teach fundamentals of the game that you're playing, mm-hmm. teach life lessons or skills that apply beyond the field of play. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say that like help kids grow as people. Right. So to grow them as athletes, teach them the fundamentals, grow them as people, teach them the lessons beyond the intrinsic values, beyond just the X's and O's, and then have fun. Right, and I, and I think that you know, you touch on it there, but to me that instilling that discipline, I think that I always thought the biggest thing that I got out of football was like discipline, having that, that learned controlled aggression or being able to separate being upset and mad and wanting to be violent because football is a violent sport versus how to keep a calm head, how to stay composed and how to handle yourself accordingly in, in the rules and regulations of the game. Um, so who's like? Can we agree? Like, let's just—I mean, just take a take a second and let's do a diagnostic on youth sports in America. If one would be youth sports is like terrible, like we are in a crisis mode, and ten being youth sports is at the peak it's ever been. Like it's just—it's the best experience you could imagine for kids. Where are we? right now in the United States with youth sports. If you had to put it on that scale, how, how like where would you put it? I'd say like a four. I think okay. that I, I personally think we're way too close to winning is all that matters versus let's have fun and let's do everything possible to teach the fundamentals and the basics of football, which to your point would have been a 10. I think we're far away from that. Is that – is do you think that lies anywhere in terms of like regionally? Do you think that's where we're at as a whole? Do you, well, like, and I can only speak regionally just because like I it's not like I travel nationwide to watch youth football. Um, but from what I've seen in Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, um, I would say that to me that's what stands out. And I, but I do think it's a mix. I also think that, um, and we brought this up a time or two, but kids don't go outside anymore. 
It'll so play. that that leads me to my like the, so that leads me to my next question is the state of youth athletics in America is at a four. That's what you think. So it's not at a ten. What's the problem? Is it society? Is it the kids? Is it the parents? I, I mean, honestly, it's got to be a mixture of all three. It's okay, sure, fair. But like, what do you think is the main issue? Like, let's talk about like each three of those. What does each three of those bring to the table in creating a negative experience? Yeah. Well, I think for kids. Part of the problem is now as a kid, you're growing up, you're, you have so much more at your fingertips than previous generations did. Um, I mean, you could play like the only time I got to play video games with my friend was when my friend came over to my house. Now, like, yeah, my yeah friend that's true. States away and I can still spend time with my friend. So whereas, hey, if your friend's not coming over to play video games with you, you might have ventured outside to do something. He doesn't have to come over anymore, and you can still have that interaction between them. So it's less time that a kid's going outside, being active, doing things that he would have been. Um, yeah. So, so you can you can you blame a kid though? No, I, I don't. Are, are, I mean, aren't are, aren't kids just a reflection of society? Right. But like, you, but you you asked me what what I thought was part of the issue, and I think that that's what contributes to the kids part of this discussion i just don't think they're going outside and being as active anymore so kids kids just don't have an interest yeah i mean like i think if you ask any 10 year old right now would he rather play Fortnite with his friends or would he rather go outside and throw football probably most of them would rather play Fortnite. i'd agree with that i agree there's nothing wrong with that like i would rather play Fortnite at times than go outside but it's just i think now it's a little bit more frequent that you see that happening because there is so so many other things to keep children occupied rather than going outside to play ball right you asked about parents and i think parents and and their issue in this is they're also coming to a blend of where sports now is becoming this huge phenomenon that you know kids can very early in in their build up and their learning they can now start hearing from coaches they can go to camps they can do stuff like that but no no parent's gonna tell you like hey you know what i don't want my kid to be as successful as possible so i think but i think parents institute their own goals and their own perspectives on these kids rather than letting kids bloom into what they should be on their own right i think the parents and society in general is the main issue with youth sports mm-hmm. and, I, and i and i say that in a very I would say I'm, I I understand I'm walking a thin rope there because I don't have kids. So it's easy for me to say, hey, these are what people are saying. These are what people are doing. It's not my kid. It's I, I would I 100 percent understand that once I have kids, that that dynamic will be um, much more difficult to balance. But it just what I've seen from interactions from parents to their kids, it doesn't seem like there's so much communication there as to like what what the kid wants to do best. Well, so when we're talking youth sports, we're just to clarify, we're going to range from anything from like T-ball up to high school athletics. Right. And so we're going to just we're going to cover those topics and just talk in that world. And we're not just going to stick in like youth sports like elementary, middle school. We're going to go all the way up to high school. I when I see when I see parent I, to me parents are the culprit of in everything of this balance between competitive and having fun. If we talked about the three main 
roles of youth sports in America is to is to teach kids to be better at their sport, teach kids to become better kids, and then have a fun experience, a healthy experience, then parents are the biggest detriment to that. Why, so, why is that? I mean, I think that parents will, I don't know what it is. I'm not a parent. You're not a parent. Uh, but we, we interact and deal with parents. I think parents take it way too seriously. They do, especially at us like when we see it like at the middle school games. And I run the clock for the middle school basketball games. And so I sit on the other side of the parents and I can just watch parents. And it's unbelievable to see like parents berating officials and yelling at kids. And like kids are in the game looking up into the crowd at their parents. It's like they've – if we look at the three goals of youth sports in America, none of those involve the parents. Right. Like it's purely teach your kid, like your player and your coach and the referees, and it's like their own little world. You just get to observe it. Right. And so uh, I want to reference, for instance, like we're going to go up to the high school level here, and this is just to prove my point, is this is from the Washington Post – and this article was written uh, in January. And this is just alluding to Ohio High School Athletic Association urging parents to cool it and attempt to stem the shortage of high school referees. In football and basketball, um, I'm not sure about the other sports, but Ohio High School Athletic Association is losing officials. And the number one cited reason in, like, in surveys of officials of why they're leaving is because they're getting berated by parents. And what's wild to me is, is it seems to be coming from all demographics, all socioeconomic statuses, all races. You know, we have a lot of parents that come from tough neighborhoods and you hear the same things as when you go to affluent areas, you, you hear officials getting berated, you know, parents yelling and embarrassing themselves. I mean, it just seems like it's, it's transcended all cultures. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just the other day, I came and uh, watched the middle school game with you, and the team, the particular team they were playing at the time, they weren't very good, but they were out there and they were playing, which is all that matters. Like um, to me, like that's all that matters is that your kids out there doing something productive with their time, rather than trouble they could be getting in. And so at halftime, I mean, the game was already out of hand, but I watched a parent of the opposing team run across the court to run up to their child and like start talking to their child about the game like as they were going into halftime. It's like, how is that? It's frustrating to me on two levels. One, because you're not helping your kid by stopping them in the middle of the game. Like Tom Brady's dad doesn't get to run out on the field when he throws a pick in the Super Bowl and like stop his son from talk to his son. Right. But right. two, as a coach, it frustrates me because it's, it's like, Hey, you're, you allowed your child to play this game, which means you're you're saying to your child, like, hey, these people that I'm leaving you with, like, I'm going to allow them to coach you. And you're undermining that if every time you want to say something to your child, you're running out on the court or you're telling them something different. There's no way that your child's ever going to learn the proper way to play a game or to interact on a team or to take coaching if there's always this, this undermining uh, voice in their head, their parent. Well, that goes back to number two, our second role of youth sports in America. I mean, it's like we said that it's to teach life lessons beyond the game, make you a better kid. Right. And in what way does undermining the person in charge help make your kid a better kid? 
It doesn't. It does. And like I mean, you, like you need to teach. Like as a, as, and this is coming from a coach. Like you are, you are empowering your kid when you tell them you need to go to practice and you need to do what the coach says as hard as you can. Like open up your chest. Don't doubt. Don't question. You do what your coach to do. That's empowering. Yeah. Because that teaches commitment. Uh, that gives you an opportunity as a player. Because if you're not doing those things, you're definitely not gonna you're not gonna play. No, not at all. It it it, it pulls in that other aspect too, where you're talking about the uh, Ohio High School Association, where they're losing out on referees. It's like these coaches, these referees, a lot of times they're not. Now, of course, in Texas and you know different scenarios, there, there are instances. Yeah, there, yeah, are, there are instances. instances where they're making a ton of money. I I totally understand that. But in especially in youth sports, middle school and under, this is not a career for a lot of the people invested in it. Um, like a I, lot I mean, of people, the referees, you, you and I, the referees, like we're all just volunteering our time to do something that we enjoy. They're like Kevin okay, we, has to we work do get out. we do get paid, right? But right. So we're not we're pretty much volunteering. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's it's like you're. You know, you still have a job to do. Like, it doesn't matter if our team is 8-0, 10-0. Like, if you don't show up to work and do your job, you still get fired. So it's like you still have something outside of football that you, you have to dedicate your full-blown right. time to. I am not a professional coach. Right. So let's listen. To, this is the letter from the OHSA to the to its parents. I think they distributed this to the athletic directors and asked the athletic directors of the schools to like distribute this among parents that are in your programs. It says, if you are the mother or father of a high school athlete here in Ohio, this message is primarily for you. When you attend an athletic event that involves your son or daughter, cheer to your heart's content, enjoy the camaraderie that high school sports offer and have fun. But when it comes to verbally criticizing game officials or coaches, cool it. Make no mistake about it. Your passion is admired and your support of the hometown team is needed. But so is your self-control. Yelling, screaming, and berating the officials humiliates your child, annoys those sitting around you, embarrasses your child's school, and is the primary reason Ohio has an alarming shortage of high school officials. That's just truth and honesty that I wish was more transparent amongst all facets of our life. That's incredible. To is being able to look at is to be able to look at people and say you are the problem. But that's because right now we're in a culture of put that out like. That's you had like the fact that they had to send that out is incredible to me. And that lets me know how far we've allowed this to go as is. Well, listen to this. According to Ohio University study, the state of Nevada had 812 registered officials in 2016, down from 1300. So almost 500 in decrease. Oregon saw a 12 percent decrease in registered officials over a three year period. Tennessee lost 200 referees from 2015 to 2016. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's an alarming rate. And so this is what it says. Um, it says there are other reasons besides the negative work environment, obviously, but the Ohio University study also pinpointed low pay and little opportunity to advance from the high school level to college, but poor, poor behavior from spectators was cited as the number one reason officials left. That's incredible. I want to cite a study, and I learned about this, uh, probably about five or six years ago, but there were these psychologists who uh, talked with Division One athletes, men and women, uh, from all sports. So these are Division One athletes.
athletes, the people who are the elite, um, they have kind of they've kind of accepted this. Like I'm not just doing this for fun anymore. Right. Like I'm we're going to the next level. And um, they asked these collegiate athletes what their parents said that made them feel great and brought them joy when they played sports. And so they're asking these college athletes who most of these kids probably have parents that are like, you know, the ones pushing them, the ones that are always um, there and helping them. And so the six words that most college athletes want to hear their parents say is, I love to watch you play. That's it. Just, I love that you're there in the crowd and you come to watch me play. And so they, they also, so they took the, um, they took it a step further. They said, they, uh, they asked these athletes a lot of questions and they said, and like, um, were probing about what athletes like to hear and what they didn't want to hear and so on and so forth. And, um, these were the considered healthiest statements you can say to your child, even for a division one college athlete, uh, before and after a competition, before the competition, here's the, the three things that athletes want to hear and that psychologists deemed the healthiest things to say. Good have luck. fun. Best. I love you. Have fun. Play hard. And I love you. Yeah. Has nothing to do with remember that. Remember that technique we were working on. Remember, it's a big game. You got to, you know, you got to do this or, hey, everybody's rooting for you tonight. Well, like, hey, your whole family's going to be. Nope. Hey, just go have fun. Go play hard. And I love you. And then here's after the competition. Did you have fun? I'm proud of you. And I love you. So it was nothing about like, hey, here's a couple things I noticed that you could work on or why weren't you doing this or what was up with what coach said during this timeout or why did you guys do this after you know this situation? Kids just want to hear, hey, I'm proud of you. They just, that's it. So like you and I, although that we grew up in very different environments, you and I were fortunate enough to both play for our dads, right? right. And I know that through conversations that we've had, like your dad was, you know, your dad made you work hard and didn't give you anything. Same with mine. But how were interactions with him being your coach before and after games? Was it more from a coaching standpoint or a father standpoint? 100% a father standpoint. 100%. To be honest with you, like I don't remember ever having a pressure-packed conversation with my dad. Mm-hmm. Granted, I was also like you, like both of us were like former Division One athletes. So in youth sports, you know they kind of came easy, right? You know what I mean? Like it's it sports are a lot easier when you're one of the better players, right? It's not as pressure packed, uh, not as pressure packed. Um, and I don't remember ever feeling pressured. I don't remember ever feeling like I disappointed my dad. My dad never guilted me anything now granted i like i said before we hardly ever lost right so right i think that the most i guess rare aspect and different aspect of my growing up than most people is that i do remember having a conversation where my dad told me that he you know he thought that uh, i had the potential to be very good at the sport but that like it would only come is if if that's what i wanted um it wasn't just gonna happen um, but I know that like when I was younger, I was a heavier kid. So in Tennessee, you have to be above a certain weight to play. 
but you also have to be below a certain weight to play as like a skill position. And if you weren't below that weight, then they put a strap on your helmet and you would have to play just interior lineman positions. And so, I, I mean, I remember vividly when I was you know, 11, 12 years old, like going to sit in a sauna for, you know, 20, 30 minutes before, like prior to the game that evening just to drop all that water weight and try to like make weight for a skill position. And some people would call that crazy, but like I, it was never done out of ingest or, or you know, from, it was never my father being like, yep, this is what you're going to do. It was more of like, Hey, I want to play this skill. I want to play running back. How do I do that? And he's like, okay, well, you're, you're going to have to lose weight. You're going to have to stay a little bit longer after practice and, and do some extra running, do some extra conditioning, uh, calisthenics, stuff like that. And, and I bought into that. And so I do think from there is some bit of parents understanding like and guiding saying like, hey, you're, you know, you're my kid. If you want to do this, I'm going to help get you there. That's one thing. It'd be a whole different story if I was just kind of like, hey, man, I just, you know, I just kind of want to be out here with my friends. And then it was, well, no, you're going to have to go sit in the sun. You're going to have to stay late and run and things like that. I think that it would have put a different perspective on the sport and I probably wouldn't have grown to love it as much because it would have felt more forced than like a thing done out of love. Like my friends, my dad worked, you know, like a normal adult seven to whatever. And then he was at the house picking me up to go to practice that night and then staying late at practice with me that night just to get up early in the morning and go back to work. So it never, it never left my mind of the sacrifice that he put out there for me. And it also is like, you know, for me being able to see that and say, like, if he believes in me enough to take this amount of time out of his day to do stuff with me, then, like, the least I can do is continue to go hard. And, like, if I ask him for help, at least take that opinion and that offer and then do what I can to control, like, what I'm able to do. Right. And so one thing I do want to touch on is, like, I want to make clear that, my dad was a tough coach. Oh, yeah. Like, was tough. My dad would get in you as a kid. Um, my dad would, I mean, he stressed toughness. Uh, some would probably say, like, classify this under the, what, toxic masculinity. What I mean, like, in today's world, it's viewed as that way. But, like, you were, like, there was a premium on toughness. Like, you you handled your emotions. Yeah. Uh, you were like a lot of was expected of you. Uh, you were expected to win. You were expected to play your hardest. You were expected to be more physical. You were expected to, to do or play better than your opponent. Like winning was the option and we won a lot. Uh, and so I, there is this balance between having fun and being competitive. But again, the problem is when you see parents voicing their opinions in the sporting event, like that's a problem. Like you can be competitive by all means you can expect to win or you can have high standards for your child, but like during the sporting event, be a parent. So I, I just, it's a tough balance between being competitive and like playing to just have fun. Like we said, our third role of youth sports in America is to provide a good experience for kids to have fun and like be a kid. But number two, like one of those life lessons in how to become a better person is like being competitive is important. 
having that toughness is important because life is not easy. Right. It's tough. It's okay to be demanding. And so um, there's that balance of like your coach being tough, but then also showing that love. Like I will say that like my dad was tough and there were times I was like, man, like this is really hard, but everybody loved playing for my dad. Right. And we won and like it was easy to buy in. But like my dad also taught all those other things. Like he would like he coached in a tough neighborhood and kids would kids would bring him his their report cards. So like this was in this was like an hour north of Columbus, Ohio. And so right now it's like heroin infested. It's a tough neighborhood. But my dad as is like a as a youth football coach with a bunch of bunch of twelve year olds would have kids bring their report cards to practice. And he would give them a dollar for every A they had on the report card and like just teaching them those things. And so it, there's just this balance of having fun, being competitive, but like allowing coaches to be tough and teach those life lessons that go beyond the game. It just, it, you just don't seem like you get that from parents at sporting events. Right. And I, I definitely echo that from, from my side, like my, and to me, like my dad was extremely tough on me. Versus like how he coached other kids. Um, and I'm sure he still held them accountable. But for instance, like my dad was my ride to practice. But like my dad would also stop and pick up um, some of the kids from various other places around the city that maybe didn't have the means to go to pr- to get to practice. Right. Because of. That's funny because that's the, the exact same thing happened. But like, I mean, like we built like lifetime bonds off of this. Like I still see those kids today and how they see my dad way more than they see me and they still they call him coach nance like he still like checks up on him how you doing like you saying out trouble things like that but we would get to practice those kids could go straight to practice and get started i had to run laps for being late we're all in the same car like what what is going on here but like that but that was his way of being like i like if you were to get here late with your mom driving or something you're not going to get a pass from me right um but then too, I think that kids always enjoyed like being around him. And like, I, like I said, like I, he was tough on me and like, there were times like I hated it, but like, as I look back now, I'm just like, man, I'm glad that he was that way because he saw it before I did. And he wasn't going to let me give up on myself before I got there. But there's a difference between being like, he was tough on me from a discipline standpoint not from an athletic standpoint or like an expectation. Like AJ, you like, you better score this touchdown or else. Right. right. Like it was never, Hey, you only had two touchdowns. Why? Yeah. 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 It was never, like, like, we got to get you, we got to get you a scholarship. Like that's not going to be enough. Like that wasn't, wasn't like that. Right. But if I wasn't hustling, Oh, you bet your tail. He's on me. You're like, you could go harder than this. You could play harder than this. Like you're lollygagging. You're going through the motions. Like, yeah, absolutely. Right. But. Right. So, I was, I think of like I want to I want to I want to tell a couple stories here because uh like so just to just to give a little background on this league that that my dad coached in because there's this league in this town and I don't I haven't checked up on it much right now but um, in Marion Ohio I mean it's it, it was the youth football team was a big deal and so you played it was like nine. 10, 11, no, it was like fourth grade through sixth grade was in the league. And everybody was all on, it was all mixed together. There wasn't, you know, like fourth graders played in one league, fifth graders played in another league. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think the, the league's been around for 
50, 60, 70 years. And so it's always been the same teams. Okay, so and like you could meet people. Like I think I was I, I was like 21 years old and I met somebody that was from Marion, Ohio, and they were I think in their 40s. And they're like, oh, did you play? Did you play uh, youth football? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I played for the Jets. And they're like, oh, I played for the Bears. And like it was a big deal. The teams never changed. And so after the league, they would do a little travel team. This the the travel team was the Marion Titans. So they would take they would take all the best players from each team make a little travel team and all the other leagues in ohio would do this so if you went to like the county next door they had a youth league and they would they would make a little travel team and so then you'd go to these tournaments and we'd go to like middletown ohio down near cincinnati we hosted a tournament uh in sixth grade i actually came to nashville it was the first time i ever came to nashville was to play in a youth tournament and so when i was in fifth grade my dad let me play on the travel team even though the travel team was mostly all sixth graders because that was just the best players were the older kids. And so my dad was a coach. So I got to be on the team and I hardly ever played. And uh, I only played if it was a blowout. And there was a, there was a tournament in Middletown, Ohio, where I woke up on a Saturday morning, like we had a game at like 8 AM and it's freezing cold in November. And I woke up with a fever of like 102 and I'm in the bathroom, like puking, not feeling good. And it's like six in the morning because we got to be at the field at seven. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I already don't play. And my dad says, uh, you know, it's like 645. Like, we got to go. And he's like, all right, let's go. Get ready. Like, get your pads on. And my stepmom was like, no, he's sick. Like, he should probably just lay in bed. And that was not okay with my dad. <laughs> and he was like, no, he's going to put his pads on. And he's going to stand on the sidelines with the rest of his team because that's a commitment he made. And that's what I did. And I stood on the sidelines, shivering because I was freezing, sick as a dog, and just stood there and watched the game. That's the kind of like toughness that my dad demanded. And at the time, it was, yeah, yeah, some people would say, like, that's ridiculous. You know, your kid's sick. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned before, it wasn't, it wasn't like, no, we need him to play. Like, he's got to score touchdowns so we can win. It was like, no, like you made a commitment to your team. And to this day, like I'm grateful that he did that. Let me ask you this. And, you know, we touched on it just saying like which what we thought were like the pillars that youth sports were were built upon. Which one of like if you had to order these three with just talking about youth football, how would you order them? For instance, I and this is me. I believe that it should be teach fundamentals, have fun, teach life lessons. Because ultimately, coach, coaches are, they are supposed to, and you would hope that when you put your child into um, an organization to play sports, that they would have coaches that would teach them life, life lessons beyond the game. But I would say majority of the time, that responsibility falls on the parents first oh, what teaching life lessons correct so that is no you're 100 percent right right so, but like you're not gonna but here's the thing is i would say I, I, you can't rank them they're all prerequisites as soon as you lose one like you said it's a tripod as soon as you lose one you're failing right and i wouldn't so i wouldn't even rank them at all but here's the thing is your parents are the number one influencers on your opinions as a kid like you your beliefs are generally always going to line up to your parents. So 
um, like you mentioned your parents' responsibility to teach you life lessons, but you need to be taught things from your coaches. And like you mentioned the pillars of youth sports, like I'll say you probably have some pillars in your community. Like the, like you have your family, your school, your church or your religion. Mm-hmm. And what other like extracurricular activities that align through, usually it's your school, but like before you're in like school sports, it could be like Girl Scouts, it could be Boy Scouts, it could be like those other activities that you're participating in. And so it makes you a better, well-rounded person when you're learning those like life lessons and fundamentals from a variety of things. And I agree. The reason why I rank them though is because I feel that as a as a youth coach, and I when I'm speaking on youth in this instance, I'm saying very early. This is six year olds, seven year olds, eight year old coaches. There's two most important things that I think kids have to understand. Is one, you have to know the fundamentals, and we, I mean, we look at our kids every year. We get a a number of kids that don't know just the basic fundamentals of football. Either well, that's the whole. Well, with. that's what that's what your whole that's the whole point. You're right. Like you, you got to get good at the fundamentals, but I like, think you have to teach them because of safety and, and safety concerns. And this is not, especially for football. This may not necessarily take precedent in baseball or basketball, but for football, fundamentals are very important because, like this, that as early as you can put on football pads, you got to know to keep your head up when you're tackling. Like, I, I just think of fundamentals in that sense and saying like, that is extremely important Two, why I say fun would follow that is because you have the rest of your life to, to play a sport, not necessarily for fun. Like the, we, we both know the, the higher you go up, um, in a, the in less a emphasis sport, fun is put on it. Right. Right. But so you I look think, at guys like, that's why I, like, I love Brett Favre because Brett Favre, like, never took it seriously even in the nfl like he wanted to win and he was competitive but he's like this is a game like right like i'm just gonna have fun but the thing i love most about having fun early or a coach making it fun is because at like there's i'm 30 now and i still struggle with knowing like exactly what i want to do career-wise and stuff like that a kid's not gonna know if he wants to be like an all-American in sports at seven years old or things like that. But what he will remember is, hey, I had fun playing this sport. I want to continue to to try at it. And I think right. what's happening early is we're defining fun and competitive way too early for kids. Like eventually, you're, the end of this game is going to come one way or another. But what you want, what you would hope is that you're having fun at this particular game until it either becomes like a job, and I say like a job because depending upon where you're playing or what level you're playing, it could be like a job, or like you're just grown past the age of of where the game is fun to you. But like that should be, I guess, the definitive measure, not necessarily like ten years old and hey, I don't want to play this anymore. It's because my coach yells at me every well, time I do something wrong. Right. But that, so this was going to bring up my point is we can't lose sight of the fact that winning is fun. So there, there, obviously there's a balance of like, like sometimes this is going to be tough. Like two a days, like that's why you sacrifice, like in high school, like two days is tough. And like, it's, it's not fun sometimes, but winning on Friday nights is fun. Right. But I think we're talking about two different 
time periods of football. Like we're not going through two a days when we're nine years old. I agree with that, but also like, like don't get me wrong. I like if I look back at my youth football experience, I'll just look at fifth and sixth grade in Dublin, Ohio. Fifth and sixth grade is its own little league. Like we had Dublin or D- Dublin football league in second and first grade. You played flag football. And then third and fourth grade was your first two years of tackle football, but you played for like college teams. And then once you moved up to fifth grade, you played in the fifth and sixth grade division. And that was the pro teams. And in fifth, my fifth grade year, it wasn't fun because we were terrible. Like, like my coaches. Yeah. Like we had, like, I never, I never had a bad experience with my coach. I don't ever remember getting yelled at. Like practice was fun. I can remember having good times, but that season sucked because we lost. But then the next year, like we beat the brakes off at of everybody and we won the whole thing. And so like that to me was one of the most fun years I've ever had playing football. And so we can like say that having fun needs to take precedent, but we can't like lose sight of the fact that winning is all like it's, it, it is important because winning is fun. If that makes but, sense. Right, but, but, but I think we well, think about the, our first year coaching. So just like, like we, how many kids, do you remember like we, so just to context, our first year of coaching, AJ and I knew each other for like two weeks. And so we, we coached sixth grade, seventh grade and eighth grade football all on one team here in Nashville. And we were terrible. And by the end of the year, we ended up winning one game. But uh, I mean, answer me this. What did you expect to happen at the end of that season? Like, in terms of a player standpoint, like at the end of that season in 2015, we're one and five. Our last game, we get blown out at home by a rival. What did you expect? Like from a, from our players mentality, like what did you expect to hear and see and all that stuff? I expect them to just like throw their hands up. Be like, all right, well it's basketball season or right. Who cares? They're like, right. Yeah. And that is farthest from what we saw. Like kids were crying. Kids were so sad that it was over. Um, parents were talking about how great of a season it was. And so it's very, very interesting. Like the, the expectations of the culture that you're living in can also determine if you're having fun or not. Right. And, and that goes back to kind of to my point that we were discussing. It was like, yeah, we went one in five. We weren't good at all. Like for us, it was tough because, you know, you and I are very, very similar in like, we just want to win. But I think that it meant a lot at the end of the season that we were one in five, but so many kids cared, you know? And right. I think about this year, like we've had one of the best years in recent memory for our school. And just look at how many kids came back from that, for those first years where we weren't good. Right. And there's, and they still come around and they still, you know, are involved with the football team. They'll come and talk to our kids and stuff like that. Like, that means something. That means we instituted a level of fun there that that those kids took from sports. And, yeah, while I 100% agree, winning cures a lot. It goes to show that even though we weren't winning, we were still doing, we were still teaching the fundamentals. We were still giving them the life lessons, but we made it a way to have fun outside of winning. Right. It was, it was a good... It was almost like they were yearning for the things that they never were getting in the past. 
like a and cohesiveness. I, they felt finally a part of a team. They felt validated because they actually had the uniforms. Like we matched yeah. in practice. There were expectations. Like that's what they yearned for and appreciated. And all of those things you would think are like negative things. Like we we made sure that they looked the same. Like you had to wear what everybody else was wearing. You had to be uniform. Uh, you had to be on time. If you weren't, like you ran. Like this all kind of can be viewed as negative things in today it's like almost as like oppressive but like but like they yearned for it. like it mattered it, they, they were a part of something that was important even if we weren't winning and i think that and a lot of that falls back on the coaches too but you got to understand who you're coaching um that i mean so again maybe that's the secret of it it's not winning but it's being part of a team and something that matters because i think i just keep thinking about the like my brother's high school experience we all grew up in columbus ohio but my my brothers went to different high schools because they lived with my dad. I lived with my mom. And uh, their high school program are traditional losers. You know, and their high school my, my oldest brother will tell me like like high school football is miserable sometimes. Like the, the games on Friday nights and the crowd and all that stuff is like you had moments of positivity and like highlights, but overall, I mean they lost. They'd go one and nine, they'd go two and eight. And like he's like, Man, high school football is just I wish we won. But Maybe I, I can't speak to like their team atmosphere, but I think I mean, that's probably that's probably if we talk about like losing the difference between teams that are like we went one and five and kids were upset, mm-hmm. and then you probably and you'll have teams that were like we played in our league, they're probably one and five and zero oh and six, and their kids like they really just don't care. Right. I mean, even, even to your point, like in my high school, like we went forty-one and ten in high school, like we were we were like an a powerhouse football team in all intents and purposes. And like, we had a great time, but I think that what made it, what still resonates with me from then is like a lot of the guys that I walked out with on senior night and that we were all hugging each other the last, the last game of the year. Um, a lot of those guys I played football with or in other sports with at a very young age. Like I played, I played sports with, those guys from probably the time I was eight or nine up until right. the time we graduated high school. Right. And there was plenty of guys that started out with us that didn't end up still being teammates of ours. And they kind of fizzled out of our group. And like they, it, it was just one of those things of like, we were always, you know, going to practice or going to, you know, going to film or going to do something. But that was our group because those are the people that we grew up with. But like, it was fun when we were six, it was fun the last time we got to play in high school, it was just, it was just one of those things. I, I mean, we could go on at length about it um, and talk about various instances. I, I think that the principles that we put out that that for what youth football should mean, I think are highly important. I think that um, why I rank it as a four is I just feel like a lot of that is lost. But one point that I did want to get to, and I definitely wanted to, for us to pick apart and discuss was, how do you believe? that you can get the most out of a kid at a young age. It doesn't matter what age. If it's your first time playing t-ball or soccer, or you are a high school football player in Texas, and your coach is making 160 grand a year, it, nothing changes. If you want to get the most out of a kid at any age, it's, it's the three pillars of youth sports. Like, teach fundamentals, teach life lessons beyond the game, and make sure it's fun. So, and just to get like, just to expand upon that, 
when you're teaching fundamentals, okay, how to get the most out of a kid when you're teaching fundamentals, demand high expectations, okay? Demand results and have high expectations, okay? So if you want to get the most out of a kid, and this is like in a classroom, this is if you're a boss and you have an employee, it's make expectations very clear and hold kids to that standard. And so like that's number one. It doesn't matter if you're playing t-ball or you're coaching high school football, like that's what you're going to do. Now, obviously your method is going to be different, but like if you want to get the most out of a kid who's going up to swing a bat for the first time and hit a ball off of a tee, you're going to show them how to do it the right way. And if they don't do it, it doesn't mean yell and scream at them, but you just say, hey, hold on, hold on. try it this way. Nope, your elbow dropped. Okay, keep your elbow up. Do it again. Nope, that's not it. Let's try again. I mean, and then obviously cheer on their success when they do it right. Okay, because I guess you could add that. I wish I would have said that right off the bat is have teach high expectations or have high expectations, teach it correctly, and then celebrate success when it happens. Um, but oftentimes, like we want to just because they're little kids, like, oh, it's okay. Nice try. Okay, you'll get it next time. Next kid in line. Like, that's not really having high expectations for a kid. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Obviously, you'll be more demanding when you're when you're coaching like a high school soccer player who, or you're on a travel team. Like, hey, it's going to be done this way. Hold them to that standard. I, people, uh, I, I mean, might argue this, but people want to be held to a high standard. I mean, what do you think about that? I and it may you may have kind of thought this in with those three pillars too, but I personally was looking and thinking like you have to show them that you care. And I think that that's the the biggest thing that a coach can do for a kid is like that kid to know that you care, like so that you can, like you mentioned, like if a kid does it wrong two, three, four times, but you're still there and you're still coaching them, and and then you celebrate that success when they do it right. That kid immediately thinks like, hey, he cares, or like right. I I mean maybe you had like I don't remember having too many coaches growing up that like you just really didn't care. So maybe I just take it for granted that most of the people that were like my coaches in life, like they took it seriously. But see, I think that, that again, that goes to a point where I think the game was a far better or in a far better place when we were coming up than it is now, because like I, I, I don't see that as much. And Okay. So, so like, let me take it a step further. Okay. So you ask how you, how do you get the most out of kids at a young age? If I'm going to go through in each of like the pillars of youth sports in America, like, Number one is teach fundamentals. So have high standards and celebrate success. Like, boom, you can do – Obviously, okay, so I'll put this in there. This is assuming that you know what you're doing in teaching fundamentals. Because mm-hmm. obviously you got to be – got to know what you're talking about in teaching fundamentals, teaching kids to do the right thing technically in a sport. But that's just a given in my opinion. Okay, so like we're just going to assume that that's the case. But so you got to have high standards and celebrate success. So number two – Teach life lessons beyond the game. I mean, I, I like here's if we're going to apply that to how do you get the most out of kids at a young age? So teach it. How do you teach life lessons beyond the game? Like, so what do you think are the most important life lessons that you're taught, like by playing football? I was gonna say discipline. Like that's the first one that comes to my head. But yeah, okay. selflessness. Like no, just keep part re- of it. Discipline, selflessness, like responsibility. How so? You're responsible for 
a particular, like if you're a lineman, you're responsible to block this particular player on this play. That's your responsibility. In life, you have responsibilities. Like, show up on time, do your work, things like that. So I think that that, that being right. accountable kind of folds into that too. Okay, yeah, being accountable and being yeah accountability. Like, there's like, hey, this is like, do your job and own up when you when you make mistakes. Yeah, and that too, like being. I don't know if humble is the word, but humble enough to say like, hey, I made a mistake or hey, I messed up. I dropped the ball. And then back to holding yourself accountable that I will do this better moving forward. Right. Um, develop like trust, the ability to trust and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's kind of goes with with responsibility. Like the idea that you don't have to do everything like I just do my job. And the rest will take care of itself. Like not to worry. That's kind of a vulnerable act. I'm just trusting that your teammates are going to 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 do what they're supposed to do, so we can all be successful. Um, like if you can teach those things to a kid, obviously you're going to get more out of that kid. I mean, how many times when kids don't have those things? How many times have we dealt with kids who don't have those things, and they like they can't participate anymore? Like I say, re- like resilience and toughness. You know what I mean? Um, or like, like a tough play, kids make a mistake, and all of a sudden they don't have resilience or toughness, so they're out. Like they're just mentally. they're gone. Mentally they're gone. They're beat. They can't play anymore. They're upset. They're out of control. They get a penalty, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I mean if you can teach those things, like if you are teaching those things, you're going to get more out of right. a kid. You're going to yeah. get more. You're going to get the most out of a kid. If, if these are the pillars and these are the things that we're going to hold um, our kids – uh, accountable for then we have to be responsible you know if we say hey kids we're going to check your grades and make sure that they are where they're supposed to be and provide help if you need it we have to follow through with those if we're going to say hey kids you got to be on time and be here every day or give us a heads up that you won't be well then the same thing we have to do for our kids and be like okay well i'm going to be here every single day to coach you and if i'm not i'm going to give you guys a heads up early enough so that you know i'm not going to be there but uh, and i think kids respond well to that because they know um that hey like he's not just saying these things he's also doing these things along with me he he lives it yeah right i mean that's a great point that's a great point and so that leads me to the last point here is like what's the role of youth sports is one of them is have fun and so if you're going to get the most of out of kids at a young age like you gotta make it fun yeah okay and so every aspect of it yeah, and I, I disagree with that. You don't have to make everything fun because there's some things like, like, I think because if that that leads you down a trap because there's things that are going to be in life that are going to be tough and not fun, but you got to have the discipline to do it anyway because it's going to make like for example like now granted so like changing your kid's diaper I say this all the time like to kids like yeah you might not want to condition just like your parents might not want to change your diaper when you're a kid but you got to have the discipline to just do it. It's not going to be fun, but you're going to do it. Now, granted, shoot, every time you change a diaper, you're going to shoot into the trash can, whatever, and make it fun. It's going to be a better experience. So, I mean, you make a good point. Right. Well, I, I maybe have fun at everything wasn't maybe necessarily the word, but, like, you ever heard, like, the saying, like, make a game out of it? Yeah. So, like, conditioning was never fun to me, ever. But, like, okay, if you make a game out of it, if it's relay rather than straight up conditioning then it's like okay well i can get by with this or if it's like you know a 
we see it a lot. Like a lot of our kids shy away from contact when it's like physically time to put on the pads. But if you, you know, when we do the two lines and it's kind of like the monkey in the middle thing and we go for cheeseburgers, well, we get the most production out of all our kids that, that practice. Right. I, I agree with that. And sometimes you lose sight of that as a coach. And, and I, you know, we talk about it every year because we get so caught up in, in winning and stuff too. And every year we have to like take a step back and say like, all right, like, are they having, like, is their experience now? We are 100% in a totally different, I would say, situation than most coaches because our our team and the buildup of our team is so drastically different, half the team to the other half. How so? Um, like, explain, explain, because a lot of people might not understand what we're, like, in Nashville, in the league we coach in, like, what is typical? So, typically all the all the athletes or players on this particular team come from one area of town or one common demog- demographic i guess like well i mean like so like i mean you think about it like um we're not necessarily a neighborhood school yes um so like we we pull kids from all over the city we actually our team will be will pull kids from two different teams or two different schools. Two different schools. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're mixing kids, and we are – like, our team is a uh, – it's truly an inclusive environment. Like, as non-discriminatory as you can get, we um, – and we're kind of a unicorn in our league in the sense that – I think what you're trying to say is we have white kids, we have black kids. We got kids that parents work in the mayor's office, and we got kids who for three years a parent never showed up at a game. We've got – Asian kids, we've got deaf kids, we've got girls, we've got, I mean, we've got everybody. We, we literally touch every bit of the spectrum. And, and like, we'll go play teams, and it's all black kids from the hood. Or it's mostly all white kids from the rich area part of town. Right. And I, I would say that puts us in a very unique predicament because you have a lot of different um, individuals to lead. Um, it's a lot different when uh, we talked about this before, but as a coach, you got to understand that you can't coach and lead kids the exact same. Like that's, that's the easiest way to mess this thing up is by trying to do everything the same. Like you, what do you mean? Saying, like our sayings always been, I may not treat you equally, but I'll treat you fairly. Right. So, you know, Johnny here, like, I may I may have to put sugar on the words that I'm giving Johnny versus if I'm yelling at Robert, I just may have to yell at him versus trying to sugarcoat it. And it's it, I could be portraying the same exact information, but you have to understand who's receiving that information and give it to him in a way that shows that you care, but also in a way that shows that like, hey, like this is important. And I think that in our particular scenario, it's so much different because, you know, we and we talked about this earlier, like we had so many, you know, kids that are when you originally when you initially see them, you're like, okay, we're going to be able to build around you, you, you like just off the eyeball test. And then you get in there and and energy starts going and and the coach starts going and, and yell or you raise your voice and like one kid crumbles. And it may not be the kid that you thought was going to crumble, 
It's just trying to like balance all those different elements and and make it one cohesive unit before the, before the season's over. And it's not like it's not like high school or other sports where you get a kid year round or hey, I got you as a freshman, I'm going to have you as a senior. A lot of times we only have these kids for a couple of years. If that. Yeah, you I mean it's important to develop trust. Now I'll tell you this right now. I've taught I've taught or have coached in both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've coached in like the country club environment where kids don't want for nothing, and college is completely paid for whether I'm an athlete or not. Like I've coached in that environment, but there are still kids that cannot handle pressure. And so uh, it, what you're saying is spot on. It's just very interesting that it doesn't it doesn't just stop at a certain you know, socioeconomic status, or it doesn't stop at a certain situation or neighborhood or part of the country or type of kid is very interesting that you could have, I mean, we, I mean, that was the big complaint of a lot of coaches were in Ohio where when I was coaching in Dublin was the kids weren't tough at all. Mm -hmm. So when, as soon as it got difficult or as soon as you got upset or you were mad or you raised your voice or you got into them a little bit, the kids would crumble. Because nothing in life had ever been tough. But it was also the other end of the spectrum where there are some kids that have life has been so difficult and so tough that they are so beaten down that any kind of harshness or tough situation, they're going to crumble as well. So very interesting part of the spectrum, what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that I always at least for me that I try to keep a perspective is like I make my own mistakes and missteps every day in life. So like, I can't expect these kids to be perfect either. But one thing that I can do is just be consistent in the message that I bring to them and consistently showing up and being there to show them that I care. And if I could do those things, well then everything else will take care of itself. Like we've talked about this and we tell it, we tell the parents this every year, like, we can't guarantee wins and losses. Like we'll guarantee we that we'll guarantee that we'll give your we're gonna do everything in our possibility to to coach your kids the right way and to go out there and try to win every game. But we're not going to we're not gonna guarantee wins. But like I think at the end of the day, me you and I both can say like, hey, we'll chalk this up as a success if the kids that come through our program that that you know, stay for multiple years and they go into high school, even past like their high school successes in sports. If those kids go on to graduate, like that's more important to us than, oh, well, you know, Johnny, he played for us two years and was really good. And then he was all state in high school. Like, yeah, that'd be great. But like if Johnny goes to high school and stays out of trouble and graduates, that means that something, hopefully some part of what we coach, some part of what we brought to him along with, if he had parents or, or, or people that were guardians of him instituting something, all that combined kept him out of trouble and brought him to a place where he felt that he could be successful in the things he does he does outside of football or outside of a sport. Right. But that goes back to like it just the the foundation of our conversation is what's the role of youth sports in America. And I think what we're trying to say is that us as coaches have a good aspect of we're gonna teach you fundamentals we're going to make you better football players and 
the expectations also, like you mentioned to it, were our expectations for you are not going to be equal, but they're going to be fair. They're all going to be high, but I'm not going to expect you to, uh, in your first year, uh, maybe something, I'm not going to expect the same thing that I might expect from the kid that's been with us for three years, is like a team captain status, so on and so forth. And so when you're talking about kids that go on, are they gonna, did we do a good job? Were we successful in coaching these kids? If a kid who just started playing football goes on to play in high school and you know maximizes his potential as a football player, whether that's playing on special teams, was an all-state kid, so on and so forth, then we did our job. Okay. And then if, like you mentioned before, if that kid goes on to high school, and I don't care if you're the best player, worst player, so on and so forth, but you took school seriously, you graduated, you were a good kid, you had manners, so on and so forth, like we did our job. Right. And then can they appreciate the game and have fun with the game? Can they look back and say, hey, you know, I had a blast playing at West End. Like, yeah, then we did our job. Right. And so, yeah. I, it's, it's something that I feel like we could – we literally could talk all day about it. Um, I, I think that, that I look at, I guess I look at the game from a much different lens because I was able to go to a certain extent and play the game to a level that I would say a lot of America doesn't necessarily get to play it at, and like that's one hundred percent because of like how. I was coached and played at a young age. And so, like, I want that same possibility for kids coming up. And at, right now, I just, I don't personally feel that I see that. But that's one of the reasons why I got into coaching, so that I could give that back to kids. Right. Right. So, well, that's a good conversation to have. We, like you said, we could keep going. But I guess time to cut it short. Uh, let's give everybody a break from hearing our voices go on and on. Uh, let's take a second and hear from... Uh, hear from our sponsors. Yes, sir. of my podcast uh, you heard the song so you know what time it is it's the mount rushmore it, episode it's the fan favorite <laughs> it's the fan favorite and uh we got an awesome co- uh topic this week i honestly think that me normally we will partially discuss these but i don't think we're gonna have any of the same stuff this week and i'm really excited for this one uh big props to to matt for bringing us this this topic for the week but this week's mount rushmore is sodas your favorite sodas let's so, get started Speaking of Coke, my first on my Mount Rushmore is Coke. Yeah. And you, I, you blew my mind. I had no idea that that black people did not drink Coke. Again, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I really believe you. I don't know. If that's like crazy to say. Independent study. I'm the, now the, the the Pepsi Coke like conundrum that I brought up is one hundred percent true. But what's that? Just like Pepsi was more geared towards African Americans or minorities, and, and because Coca Cola was seen as like this perfect Americana, yes, and so something Pepsi, that African Americans are not a part of. Yeah, like I mean, especially like, in the South. If you look at if you you can go back through history in uh, earlier years, not so much now, but earlier in times, like Pepsi, the cocaine had, years. 
<laughs> well, Pepsi had um, minorities as like their brand figureheads. Yeah, my mom always drank Pepsi. I don't, but yeah, Coke's so much better. Pepsi's terrible. Neither of those, but all right. My first one is cream soda. Okay. Uh, cream soda is gross. It's delicious. It goes down on a warm, sunny afternoon. It's just not good. Yeah. Um, Nope. I will say, hey, I'm not drinking cream soda, but an IBC root beer. And now this is important. It's not a Barg's root beer. It's not a whatever other brand you got. But a root beer that comes from the bottle. No, 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 no. No mug. Get out of here with the mug. But the root beer that came from the bottle, the Mm -hmm. IBC bottle. That was absolutely incredible. So is that how you say it? Barks? Barks? I don't know. I, what is it? It's Barks, know. right? That's how I always said it. I, I've literally you never just never said root beer? No, I mean, like, I called it Barks. Or just Barks a brand? No, oh, because, yeah. like, you got that, you got IBC, you got A&W, you got Mug. Oh, like, right. A&W, those. sure. Yeah, I never even thought about it. A&W's okay, but, like, I, the bottle, being a kid, drinking out of the bottle, like, <laughs> you thought you were so cool. My parents would probably hate me saying that, but, like... You know, walking around acting like you were big time. Like you, you had a beer. Up, yeah, yeah. You're like you pop it up of a bottle and all that stuff. Like, listen, I remember being younger and like ordering root beers, and I'd be pissed if they bought it to me in a cup. Like, no, I want the bottle. I want the bottle for sure. It's the same thing as an old duels. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? All right, so the second on my list is a Tahitian treat. Yes, love. What Just, the hell is that? It's a fruit punch soda, and it's delightful. Um, I don't... <laughs> there's a specific type of person that I know drinks these. <laughs> you don't necessarily fit that fold. So, so it's a fruit punch it. drink, and you didn't put Hawaiian punch? Hawaiian punch is more of a juice. Like, Tahitian treat is more of a soda. Like, carbonated? Yeah. Okay. All right. But it's just delightful. All right. So <laughs> what you got for two? Uh, well, no, no, no. So I've already done Coke and the root beer, the IBC root beer out of a bottle. Oh, that was your second one? Root beer, yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So then what's your three? Grape soda. <laughs> Is there a particular brand? Never never had Fanta or like Fago. I, I think actually, no, Fago, I think was probably the grape soda. Welch's grape soda, I think was probably, uh, but I don't really remember that being a big deal. But I like grape soda. So the brand was never an issue. We just didn't drink certain because I, it just was never bought. But I love grape soda. Crush. Crush, yeah. Fanta. All yep. those. Orange is terrible, but I'm not – like orange Ooh. Fanta is garbage. Only grape soda. Mm, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like I like orange soda. It didn't make my list, but yeah, definitely like that. Um, Isn't there I, orange cream soda too? Yep. It's you're getting a little further away from the reason why I drink them when you get into that, but like okay. Jones Soda has like a blue cream soda and stuff like that. Jones it's, Soda, yeah. I just like to stick with the regular, but not terrible. Um, my third was a peach knee high. Okay. What is the you? Reason, <laughs> the reason why I asked. The reason why I asked is because um, they also have a grape knee high as well, and so you. I, I feel like if you like grape sodas, you got to try that brand. I've never had it, but the Peach Knee High is just, it is a hood classic, and it's phenomenal. I have never heard of Knee High either, but Peach, like Peach, peach is terrible. Oh, listen, 
We're going to have a, a, like, the less, now I'm just going to have to come over and stop bringing bourbon, and I'm just going to bring sodas to the house, and it's just going to blow your mind. That's wild. I've never even seen this before. It's just delicious. Ooh. All right. I'll take your word for it, I guess. I'll try it. I'm up for it. <laughs> uh, last one. Seven up. No Sprite, no Sierra Mist. I'm going with seven up. When I was sick, you always had a seven up. One of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite cocktails is a Seagram seven and seven. <laughs> and it, it makes a huge difference if you have Sprite, Sierra Mist, or seven up. The only way to drink it is a seven up. Are you a fan of like just like do you like all the other style seven ups, like the cherry seven up and all that or I'm not a big fan. Like I don't hate I don't hate it. But it's a like I don't choose it. But that being said, though, like I, I don't dislike Sprite. I don't dislike Sierra Mist. Right. I really don't mind them. You but just, if you gave you me the choice it. of the three, yeah, if you gave me the choice of the three. Also, I feel like 7-Up is never one of the choices. So if you went out to eat, it was like, oh, we either have Coke or seven, or Coke or Sprite. I'm sorry, right. uh, Sprite or Sierra Mist. Mm-hmm. And then whenever you see 7-Up, it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a 7-Up. I, I do enjoy – I don't hate 7-Up. I'd probably say that I I lean more towards Sprite, but, like, I'm not going to turn down a 7-Up. Like, I just wouldn't do it. Um, what's, your, what's your last one? My last one, of course. Uh, something near and dear to my heart, as most of these are, but it is coupled with a bag of Grippos. Mm. Shout out to Grippos. Yeah. We can't wait for their sponsorship to come through. Spiciest but, uh, chips in the world. But an L8, man. Yes, well. Ah, it's just a Kentucky L8 would just. Oh, L8. It's L8. Unbelievable. Like, they're all. They're, now, and, and they've started selling them here in Tennessee. I don't know how far um, they kind of range in where they're sold now. When I was in Kentucky, when I first was. Um, getting on the campus stuff the only place you could find an l8 was in kentucky but it's like what is an l8 yeah yeah explain what an l8 is yeah so the the it actually comes from um it's the slogan is a late one like a late one but l8 one is what is on the bottle and it kind of says like a late one but it's a it's a ginger ale type soda um but not as ginger ale-ish like if you have like a i'm trying to think if you have like a canada dry or something like that it's not it doesn't taste like that it tastes more soda-ish but an l8 is the perfect blend of soda to ginger ale and it's just delicious i feel like my mount rushmore was relatable to a hundred percent of our listeners and i feel like your mount rushmore was an expose on the non-traditional soda world I'd, I'd also preface this by saying, like, I don't drink sodas. Like, like when I start drinking soda, um, like, I will have maybe one soda a month, if that. I just don't drink sodas that much. But when I do, like, I'm only getting one of these particular brands. Obviously, I don't have L.A. as much, uh, just because, like, living in Tennessee, now that they, they just started selling it here, so I can get it more. But before, like, I never... I never really was able to get my hands on it when I lived here. Um, Peach Knee Highs, it's, again, it's one of those things that, like, I grew up on just going to, like, a corner store. But, like, it's, 
you don't walk into Kroger per se and find a peach knee high. It's more so like you catch it at a particular gas station and you know to just keep going to that one because they had it. Um, but yeah, it's it's very diverse. I'm not like obviously I like the the normal ones, Sprite. Like love a Sprite, love a good Sprite, love a Doctor Pib or a Mister Pib or Doctor Pepper. Like I love those, but like. Again, being that I don't drink sodas that often, like if I'm going to get a soda, these are the brands that I typically would go for. Yeah. I feel like there's like cult classic, like no Mountain Dew. Like I feel like that's kind of like a cult classic soda. I like it. I, I enjoy Mountain Dew. I just like if you ask me to go into a store and buy a soda, like I'm not going to buy a Mountain Dew. I just would never go there. Uh, now, I will say that Code Red is better than regular Mountain Dew. That's just simple and plain. Or the Baja, from Baja the Blast. Ba- the yep. Baja Blast at Taco Bell. People Both better yeah, than the original. Pe- pe- people love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, both are better than the original. You brought this up earlier, but like Surge. Oh, man. That's probably yeah, why I, I love like sodas. Surge. That's probably why I don't like sodas now because I drink Surge for. It's Ten just years op- growing up. <laughs> opening your mouth and just pouring chemicals into your. This is probably not good for you at all. And then, like, did you ever drink Fresca as a kid? Did you guys yeah. ever hear of? We drink, yeah, we still drink Frescas now. Fresca, yeah, that was that was a popular one. Um, honestly, yeah, no Dr Pepper. That's kind of surprising on either list. That seems to be a like its own little soda world. I like Dr Pepper. Um, I just... It's what is it? 30, 30 23 ingredients. Yeah, twenty three flavors. <laughs> Dr Pepper's good. I just, I will say, like if I, if I was gonna like mix bourbon, I don't mind doing that with a Dr Pepper or a Sprite. Um, typically, it'd be in L A. If I was tailgating, but if I'm not in Kentucky, it'll probably be a Dr Pepper or a Sprite. What are your thoughts on vanilla Coke? Not a big fan of it. If I'm gonna drink any. Any style Coke, again, like I said, I, I hate, I'm not a Coke fan, but if I'm going to drink any style Coke, it would have been like a cherry Coke. Yeah, I think I think vanilla Coke might be the only like trash soda that everybody does not like, but that I that I like. <laughs> so you're a big fan of the... Like, I, no, it, I, I like vanilla Coke. I like vanilla Coke as a kid. Like I would drink it, but I have a feeling I was like the extreme minority. I feel like people hated vanilla Coke. It's just I feel like I feel like Coke drinkers prefer Coke. Yeah, like I agree. That, like, I agree. And I feel like people that are maybe not like dead set sold on Coca Cola like vanilla Coke, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Well, hey, it's another successful Mount Rushmore. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, we're gonna post our Mount Rushmores on um, on Instagram and Twitter. We're also going to make a little uh, Instagram story that you can screenshot and make your own and then share with us what your favorite sodas or what your Mount Rushmore of sodas would be or pop wherever you live. Don't want to discriminate. Don't exclude anybody. (laughs) Very inclusive here. So, uh, yeah, look out for that. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening on the Mount Rushmore segment. Yeah, let's uh, let's hear from our sponsors here and then we'll get back to the show. We've come to the end of the show. It's about that time we got to wrap it up. Let's uh, get started on some overtime. Yes. All right. So 
First thing I want to jump into, Colin Kaepernick and Ed, Eric Reed reached a deal with the NFL to sell, settle the collusion case um, that was going on. How do you feel about that being being settled, having the the uh, the clause in it where you can't speak on it? Like, How does that fall out for you? I would love to hear the details on how much they settled for, what evidence they found. I really am just dying to hear about that. Um, good for Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. Whether you disagree or agree with what happened, I think it's pretty easy to say that there was definitely collusion going on. Right, and I think that's that's what a lot of people forget is like the NFL, like they did everything in their possibility to drag Tom Brady under the bus for deflating balls for, like, and they drug that out for over a year. Like, they will go to war if they feel like they're right. So for them settling, uh, let you know at least there was some collusion to keep them out. That's a good point. All right, Joe Flacco headed to the Denver Broncos. Which team will be better in the long run, Denver or Baltimore? I'm going to go with Baltimore here. Um, A, because you got you got the young quarterback that you're not so invested in so that you can build up around him. But two, like Denver already had a quarterback on on the roster that they're paying. Plus, they're bringing in Flacco, who's got a huge contract. Like They're investing a lot of money into a quarterback position, and I don't know if they're going to get the return out of that. I think it'll be very interesting to see the heights that Baltimore can get to without Joe Flacco. I think Joe Flacco made Baltimore consistent. And when you look at a business standpoint, being consistent in the NFL is a good thing. All right. So 29 years ago, uh, I think it was yesterday was the day, but 29 years ago, Michael Jordan had to wear a nameless number 12 jersey after his number 23 jersey was stolen from the locker room prior to the game against the Magic. If your jersey was stolen before the game, what number would you want to wear? My first reaction, I think, would be number one. I always wanted to, I always wanted to be number one, but we were never allowed to have it. We never had a number one. Really? What about you? Yeah, no, we weren't allowed to. Deuce is nope. wild, baby. Deuce is wild. I never got to wear two just because it was always like a small uniform and I needed a large or something, but I'd have loved to be number two just once. Yeah. Yeah, we never had a number one. <laughs> nobody was nope, nobody was allowed to be number one. The team was number I respect one. It. I respect it. <laughs> All right. So Colin Murray came out this week and he stated that he's a hundred percent focused on football. Do you think this is the right decision? Yeah, I do. I think he's, he's just showing that his true love is football. And if that's what you're truly passionate about, go for it. I think this is obviously, uh, it obviously shows that major league baseball didn't take him seriously enough to offer him the amount of money that he wanted. And you can always go play baseball, as right. Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders proved. But like your time limit on playing football is limited, so go play football if you want to play it. Right. Uh, I didn't when I initially thought that he should go play baseball. I didn't really read into like the financial breakdowns. But if he's drafted in the first round as a quarterback, he's going to far and away blow away the amount of money he would make playing baseball. And then you know, hell, let's say he goes two contracts. He could be 28 and still go play baseball and have an outstanding six, seven-year career if he wanted to. Yeah. So. If Tim Tebow can play baseball, Kyler Murray's going to be just fine. Right. Right. Now, this one's very interesting. An article by SB Nation lists the 11 best college football and basketball games that the NCAA says didn't happen. Now, don't get me wrong. These games are actually played by real schools and real players and real teams, but – because of NCAA violations and other things, they technically don't count. On this list, you have the 2008 National 
title game uh, in basketball from Kansas and Memphis with Derrick Rose and uh, Mario Chalmers. You've got uh, the 2013 NCAA bas- national title game um, between Louisville and Michigan in the uh, NCAA tournament. You've got the ACC uh, title game in 2009 between Georgia Tech and Clemson. 2005, USC Notre Dame with the Bush push. Uh, technically doesn't count the same season, the <laughs> Fresno State versus USC game that Reggie Bush went wild on technically never happened. That's the cutback game, ain't it? That's the cutback game in the fog, man. Oh, uh, you've got the 1993 Final Four between Michigan and Kentucky. You're going to have to teach me on the, uh, teach me about that one, but I don't remember that one. Uh, 2012, uh, Pitt versus Notre Dame. You've got the 2011 Sugar Bowl between Ohio State and Arkansas with Ohio State's five uh Players being ineligible because of Tatgate. 1996 Final Four, UMass versus Kentucky. Very interesting because Coach Cal. Um, 1999 Elite Eight, Ohio State versus St. John's. Um, Ohio State was ruled ineligible in that one. 1985 Elite Eight, Memphis versus Oklahoma. Of all those that I listed, which one is your favorite game? Oh, this this was just delightful. It's got to be, shouts out to Michigan, man. Like the 2013 NCAA basketball national champions. Let's just give it up for our Wolverines, baby. No way. No, listen, I've already deleted it from my mind like men in black. That school that's red, that starts with an L, never existed. They never had a banner about this game. Like, nothing makes me feel better about myself than taking away their banner. So, yeah, let's just clap it up for for Michigan and Albright and all those guys that that pulled out that championship. It was a really big year for you guys, and I was really proud to see them do it. One thing that sticks out to me is, like, obviously I'm an Ohio State fan, so the Sugar Bowl in 2011 when they played Arkansas, up until that point, I think Ohio State was 0-10 against SEC schools in in bowl games. Mm-hmm. And so Ohio State won that game, obviously. And so technically they still had never beat an SEC school in a, in a bowl game, even though they actually did beat an SEC school in a bowl game. But, I mean, how do you – what do you stand on that? Like, like yeah – Arkansas would have definitely won the game if all those players didn't play, but they did play. And so, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's like legit? Like you could say that Arkansas really cheated or it's like, hey, it doesn't matter. Just play the game and go win. Like you still weren't better than them. Uh, well, for me, that game really pisses me off because if Arkansas can defend a deep ball, they win the game. Like there was a number because what's my what in Devery on that team? Devere Posey? Devere. Devere Posey is who I'm thinking. Not Devere Henderson. Devere Posey caught multiple deep balls on Arkansas. It's like, hey, just knock the ball down and you win that game. Right. And Well, so, like all I mean, the players that were ineligible in that game like balled out. Like Devere oh, Posey, yeah, balled absolutely. out. Terrell Pryor, balled out. And like at the end of the game, Arkansas still got a shot. And like Ohio State drops a defensive end back. And like his name was, I think it was Solomon Thomas who really wasn't that great of a player. The real player in that game was Cameron Hayward, who's still playing in the NFL, Pro Bowl player. Yeah, but like Solomon Thomas was just another guy. And in that game, of course, Arkansas is making their last-ditch effort to come back and win it. And uh, and Ryan Mallett throws a pick to Solomon Thomas, who like drops back into coverage as a defensive end and seals the game. So like the guy who seals the game for Ohio State is technically not supposed to be playing. <laughs> right, right. That's the one. So, Listen. All right, so last one we're going to touch on here is it's week two in the AAF, and they've got some very unique rules that they're bringing up. Um, Which one of these would you most like to see the NFL adopt? 
I like the transparent reviews. I, from everything I've heard, that seems to be the most popular one. Uh, the one I really don't like and hope they never bring into the NFL is the maximum rushers that you can. Rushers five, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. What do you think? I, I'm right there with you. Like the the making it more transparent on what's going on, especially after um, these particular playoffs that just happened. Um, just seeing the thought process that uh, the league review and the officials on the field go through to determine a call would be huge. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Like the game is meant to out scheme your opponents. So not like limiting the amount of rushers doesn't increase the excitement to the game to me. So, right. I also like that the, the games are quicker. Um, they did away with the TV timeouts. Um, I like that a lot. Right. I think, I think that one though could not happen just simply because, uh, so much money and sponsorships and stuff. The NFL has to to take those timeouts. No, but they they can they can balance it. Like people, probably you know, like the like the numbers are going down. Like the if the if the viewership is going down, and one of the reasons that they cite it's going down is because the games just take too long. Or like if your att- if attendance is really a big deal to you, and people aren't going because there's a lot of downtime due to TV timeouts and too many timeouts, then you change your product a little bit. So I agree, they're not going to get away with it completely, but. Nonetheless, they can still adjust it. So that brings us to the end of overtime, the end of another week. Uh, we appreciate you all stopping in, checking us out for episode seven. Again, like always, we would be truly appreciative if you guys could subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. Um, give us a rate, uh, review us, give us a rating, anything that you could do, like tag a friend on online. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Peace of Mind 615. Anything to get our name out there, we'd really be appreciative of. And um, like our man Bradley mentioned earlier in the shout-outs, we definitely got to figure out something uh, to give away to include to our our followers right now to, to tell you all thank you. Yeah, much appreciate uh, you guys listening to us. Um, thanks for tuning in. Y'all have a good night. Go Bucks. See you. Hey. How you doing there, big guy? You holding up all right? You want a soda? Hmm? Screw it, I tried.